Welcome to the Word on Wednesday podcast for June 8. My name is John Mason. Thank you for joining us. It's often said that God is love. I suggest this is glibly said because for God to love, He must have someone else to love throughout eternity. In a highly patterned and repetitive piece of writing, the first book of the Bible introduces six stages of God's creating work with the words, And God said, Let there be. However, in the second part of verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, this symmetry is broken. A significant plural verb is introduced with the words, Let us make. The break is emphatic. The us is not simply a royal plural. The decision to create men and women is the outcome of a conversation within the Godhead. The Old Testament consistently says there is only one God, yet there is reference to the Spirit of the Lord. Furthermore, in the New Testament, the Gospel records speak of Jesus of Nazareth as the Son of God and John the Gospel writer speaks of the Word, who is with God and who is God, coming amongst us in human form. Which brings us to Jesus' words to his disciples, as he walked with them towards the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest. Jesus knew they dreaded the very idea of his departure. As so often happens, self-pity blinded them to the hidden but greater purposes of God. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, he said, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. One of the Holy Spirit's tasks would be to awaken and convict men and women to the reality of their broken relationship with their Creator, the God who is just in all his ways. Furthermore, Jesus continued, The prince of this world stands condemned. Satan's attempt to usurp God's throne was confounded when Jesus was crucified, as we read in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. The Spirit convicts us of sin, of the standard and triumph of righteousness, and of Satan's defeat. We begin to see something of the significance of God being one, in three persons. He is a God of love, who in his love for us, is passionate about us loving him. Can we be sure about this? John chapter 16 verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus continued, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. These words explain why Jesus never wrote anything down. 
Most of the Old Testament prophets wrote up their messages, but Jesus didn't. He didn't pick up a pen because he knew that the Spirit would ensure that the special revelation he had brought would not be forgotten or muddled. Earlier Jesus had said, He, the Advocate or Helper, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit inspired the first disciples who became apostles with accurate recall and a clear and correct interpretation of Jesus' person and work. And here in chapter 16, Jesus says the Spirit would guide the disciples into all the truth, not some of it. Subsequent generations would not be inspired to fill out more of the picture. Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit would ensure that the apostles would receive and rightly interpret all the truth about the person and work of the Christ. And that's how the apostles understood it. At the end of their ministry, we don't find them telling God's people to look for other apostles and prophets to reveal new truth. Rather, they warned their readers against false prophets and urged the church to transmit faithfully what they, the apostles, had taught and delivered to God's people. As we read in the book of Jude, chapter 1 and verse 3. We can see the logic of all this. If we are made in the image of God, if Jesus is God in human form, then God is not just a remote, powerful intelligence. He is a speaking God. He is about building relationships in the way that we do, through verbal communication. All this helps us in our study of knowledge, or epistemology. It means that amongst the sources of knowledge there is revelation, as well as human discovery. A Chinese-English professor who was in Tiananmen Square on June 4, 1989, told me that when he saw the guns of the People's Army turned on the people, Marxism and Maoism within him died. If there's such a thing as truth, he said, I realised it had to come from outside human thought or invention. That night, he told me, he went home and read the New Testament from cover to cover. Here is the truth, he thought. How, then, does God's Spirit work within us today? We need to distinguish between inspiration and illumination. The Spirit inspired the apostles to preach and write God's truth. He now illuminates our minds as we read what the Apostles have written. Hence Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And Peter, in his second letter, writes, No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Can we be sure that God delights in us knowing Him? The answer is found in our understanding that God is love because He is a trinity. Throughout eternity, the three persons in the one Godhead love one another. When we begin to understand this, 
we will sense the beauty and goodness, the generosity and overflowing love of God. Our life and our relationships, our lifestyle and our future, hang on loving the one ever true and eternal God who exists in three persons. So let me pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you have given us your servants grace by the confession of a true faith to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity and by your divine power to worship you as one. We pray that you would keep us steadfast in this faith and evermore defend us from all adversities. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.
Let me continue in prayer. Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, we thank you for bringing us safely to this day. Protect and preserve us by your mighty power and grant that today we fall into no sin nor run into any kind of danger. Lead and govern us in all things so that we may always do what is right in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God of the nations, whose kingdom rules over all, have mercy on our broken and divided world. Shed abroad your peace in the hearts of all men and women, and banish from them the spirit that makes for war, so that all races and people may learn to live as members of one family and in obedience to your laws, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And a prayer for those in need. Almighty Father, we commend to your goodness all who are in any way afflicted or distressed, especially those who are known to us. May it please you to comfort and relieve them according to their needs, giving them patience in their sufferings and a happy issue out of all their afflictions. All this we ask for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God, and of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be amongst us, and remain with us always. Amen. People involved in today's podcast are John Mason, speaker and writer, and April Marks, a member of Christ Church Presbyterian San Francisco. Prayers are from an Australian prayer book, 1978. The opening and concluding music and the hymn Holy, Holy, Holy are from St Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney, under the direction of Ross Cobb. Please let us know if you have a question or a comment about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you.